0: and uh, what we just sung about is what scripture teaches about jesus christ and the power that he has he he never runs out of power he never runs out of grace he never runs out of mercy Uh, his mercy is renewed every day and the song before that jesus is a rock and we're going to talk about that today as well And uh, by virtue of application. So if you want, take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 7. You can put your finger there or put your uh, Bible divider there. Uh, If you got your phone, maybe you scroll down and get Matthew 7 ready. And uh, if you were here last week, you know that that's a a passage we looked at last week as well. And we're going to expand on it today using what we learned last week in our message, talking about how we determine what the Bible is actually teaching and what the Bible actually says. And uh, today we're going to talk about how do we build a Bible reading habit uh, as uh, we study the scriptures today. So we're going we're gonna to study that. How do, we, how do we get a Bible reading habit and how do we interpret the Bible properly when we read the Bible? Uh, last week we talked about the two different types of Bible study. There's one called inductive and one called deductive deductive Bible study says this, I have a presupposition about Scripture or I want to I find a topic about Scripture and I'm going to go to the Bible and find that topic and I'm going to justify my presupposed position about what I think the Bible is going to say and I'm going to find a passage of Scripture that's going to prove it. Thus, if I want to justify some behavior, I can go into God's Word, I can justify that behavior by finding a verse that mentions the thing that I'm interested in and then apply that as scripture and say, that's what God's teaching. Unfortunately, there are people and pastors and churches today that teach in that style. I think all of us have heard in one way or another, I gave some illustrations last week, you know, if we wanted to take David and Goliath, and we wanted to take the five smooth stones that'll be a giant slayer in your life, that we could take five stones, are five stones shown in that, in that scripture? yes. We could take those five stones, and we could all go out and learn how to be David's and 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 uh, giant slayers from God's word. The problem is, the five stones are only significant to one audience. Who is it? Goliath and his brothers. The five stones represented the five brothers that Goliath or the four brothers Goliath had. One stone for him, and the others for his four brothers, who eventually end up dying. True, they do. Um, but we don't we don't go to scripture and say, well, because there's five stones there, we're gonna find five truths that are gonna make you a giant slayer, so no matter what giant you're facing today, you can go out and kill him with these five stones. That's not what the passage is saying. What the Bible actually teaches there is this if you trust God, even the biggest obstacles that seem insurmountable to even God's people, right? Goliath was in opposition to who? all of God's people, all of Israel. Despite the fact that all of God's people think it's impossible to do, the God of the impossible can do what's impossible. And it wasn't about David being a gunslinger or a slingshotter, right? It wasn't about him having the right rocks, five round, smooth stones. I'm telling you, David could have whipped that baby the wrong direction, And that was the first guided missile ever reported in history because that rock was not going to miss Goliath's forehead and he could have slung that thing sideways and Goliath still would have went down because the victory was not David's, it was God's. And see, when we put the right interpretation on scripture, now all of a sudden, can you today trust God to slay whatever obstacles are in your path? Is God able and just and powerful enough to deal with the issues that you're facing today? Absolutely. Do you need to have five perfect stones to know how to kill it? No. David David picked up five rocks. That's what he did. He chose five stones that would fit in his sling. That's all he did. How many of them did he use? Why did he pick up five? Probably because God told him to pick up five. I don't know. I don't think, however, David was doubting God's ability. Do you? No, I don't think so. And you know what? When we look at Scripture in the right context, in the right way, we get the right interpretation. And when we get the right interpretation, we can apply the truths of God's Word in a way that works in every generation with all people in all time. So let's look at God's Word today. And I'm going to show you how you can have a Bible reading habit that is, number one, build on right interpretation of Scripture. And number two, that you can apply to your life at any given time. But here's what usually we do when we come to Bible study, right? Usually when we come to Bible study, it's about completion, not understanding, and not interpretation, right? Normally, when we do our devotions, we open the word of God, we say, I got to read a portion of scripture today and I'm going to come to the word of God. I'm going to read it. And I got to find one truth that I got to go out and live. And there's nothing wrong with trying to find one truth to go out and share with somebody. All right. Because by the end of the message, that's exactly what I'm going to tell you to do. The problem is how we interpret that passage. Is it what I get from scripture? Or is it what God said in scripture? So we gotta be careful on that. And let's look into this a little bit today. So today we're gonna learn how to create a Bible reading habit by redirecting our emotions and our rewards and put them in a right God-honoring position. So we're gonna learn how to build a Bible reading habit. Let's, Let's jump in, right? So let's confess, first of all, right off the bat, so nobody feels guilty this morning, all right? In the area of Bible study, everybody struggles, okay? Now, I know there might be that one exception out there. Okay, you're you're abnormal, all right? Everybody else in the world struggles with reading the Bible, okay? We all know we can do better in this area, right? We could give more time. We could give more thought to it. We could give more... uh, There's something more we can do in the area set in the Bible. But let's address some of the facts today. And there are two that I want to notice, first of all. Number one, the Bible is the best-selling least read book, least misunderstood book in all the world today. It is the most best-selling book, the less read and most misunderstood book in the entire world today. True? All right. Many of you know the Bible was one of the first books, or actually the first book ever completed in the Gutenberg Press in 1440. Yet the problem for many of us is not that we don't have access to a Bible. How many of you have the Bible app on your phone today? right? We have more access to the Bible than any generation that has ever lived today. And yet the Bible is the least read, most misunderstood book in the world today. Truth number two, most people don't read it. We don't read it. We don't read it. Just look at the second, look at the statistic I'm going to give you from a Gallup poll from 2019. So this is pre-pandemic, okay? 64% of those questions said they were too busy to read a Bible. These are Christians being interviewed. 64% of those questions said they're too busy to read a Bible. So I assume this fact really probably isn't shocking, but what it does tell us is this. There is a major gap between Bible ownership and Bible use. Most of the people in the room today probably own multiple Bibles, personally. You probably have a hard copy. You probably have electronic copies. You probably have more than one translation even in your possession. So the access to the Bible in our generation is not a problem. The problem is readership. There is a 64% gap between those that read and those who don't. That means looking around the auditorium today, don't be a judge. Because probably you're the one not reading. Just by sheer odds, right? So over 50%, that means every other person in the room today, almost, all right, give or take, would say they're too busy to read God's word on a daily basis. Now I find that staggering, but I'm not really astounded by it because if we're too busy to read the most valuable resource that mankind has ever been given, then it's going to mess up every other aspect of our lives. And how many people do you know today that have a really messed up life? How many people do you know that are struggling with emotional issues, marital issues, relational issues? worth, purpose issues in life. And you know what the Bible addresses? All those things. And if we as Christians would understand that this is the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God, that it is God himself revealing himself to us, and he wants you to know him, he wants you to have a relationship with him, he wants to reveal himself to you. After all, he chose you before you chose him. He loved you before you loved him back. And that same God who gave us the word of God, the same God who gave us his son, the same God who gave us his church, the same God who gave us the Holy Spirit wants you to know him today. How do we get to know God? Well, we get to know him through his word. His word reveals truth to us. So our goal today in our lesson is to discover the value of the Bible and not just the value of the Bible, but the value of biblical reading, Bible reading, with the outcome of developing a new Bible reading habit that'll get us continually in the Bible, but not just completing a project, but actually understanding and comprehending what it says. All right? So that's our goal. And you're like, Pastor Joe, you're going to do that in one lesson? No, I'm going to do it in one series. That's what this series is all about. We're giving you step stones, building stones, layers, if you will, of how to study the Bible. So remember, the Bible is about one person. There's only one plot. And the person is who? Jesus Christ. And the whole story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is about how God reveals Christ and who Jesus Christ is to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Now, this morning, I'm going to share with you one of the best practices of Bible reading that I have come upon in my time as being a pastor. It's the methodology I use for studying scriptures. It's the methodology I use when I do my devotions. It's the methodology I use when I, when I prepare sermons. Um, and uh, I'm just going to give you pieces of it today. And over time, we're going to develop a habit of studying the Bible. So I hope that you're reading through the book of Jude, because we're going to go to the book of Jude and we're going to use the inductive Bible study method, observation interpretation, and application. O-I-A, right? Observation, interpretation, application. Talked about it last week in detail. If you missed that, go back and watch the video on it. And we're going to teach you how to study the book of Jude, a book that most of us have never studied, probably one you've never heard a sermon series on. And yet I would argue that there's not a greater book of the Bible for the time we live in right now than the book of Jude. I would go that strong, that the book of Jude has more application to what's going on in our world right now today than almost any other book of the Bible presently. And I would have to put a little asterisk next to that because I've got to be honest, 2 Peter's right there with them, okay? 2 Peter's right there with Jude. So to be fair, these two books are parallels. And if you saw on Facebook this last week, I mentioned there's 15 parallels between Jude and Second Peter, and if you find them, come talk to me. I'll 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 get you a award for finding it. All right. I'm going to bribe you to read the Bible. That's kind of sad, but sometimes I'm that petty. All right. So I'll reward you for your Bible study if you find the 15 verses that go together. So you got Matthew seven. We looked at this passage last week, and if you remember, on purpose I shorted the passage. What verse did we start at last week? Verse 24. I did that on purpose to you, because if you remember, I assumed a few things. I said, I'm going to assume this morning that you already know the story, that you already know the observation, you already know the interpretation. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. As they're climbing up the mountain next to the Sea of Galilee, Jesus is giving a discourse. And as they're climbing the hill, he's giving this message. And by the time he gets to the top of the hill, only his disciples are left with him. And they're, they're listening to the teachings of Jesus Christ, the greatest preacher who ever lived, the only preacher who could live what he preached, and the only one who wrote what he preached originally, right? So Jesus himself is giving revelation here of who he is, and the words are read in your Bible, so you know these are, this is Jesus speaking. And, um, but I kind of gypped you a little bit, because I didn't give you all the information. I, I gave you enough that you'd be familiar with the story and we got the correct application from it because I helped you out with that. But today we're going to go back and we're going to look at who is this passage actually talking about? And what is this passage actually saying in context? So let's read through this together. Uh, Matthew chapter seven, verses 21 through 27. It says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I don't know who you are. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And the rains fell and the floods came. And the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So we all know the, the end of the parable, right? You have these two houses, both of them being built. Um, now, personally, I think this text is one of the greatest arguments from Jesus Christ on the value of the word of God on the value of God's word. I think this is one of the most powerful verses in all the Bible when it comes to the authority of God's word, okay? Jesus begins by creating a lot of tension around one fact, all right? Here's the fact. In the end, there will be believers who think that they know the truth, but they get it wrong. In the end, there's gonna be people who think they have the truth, but they're getting it totally wrong. That's what this passage is teaching. Matthew 7. Jesus is giving us a warning here. Jesus is referencing the religious officials of his day to the fact that Jesus says their righteousness is built on performance and showmanship alone. All right? Now, is there anything for us to glean from this today? Well, I don't know yet. We haven't done the work yet, right? We got to observe, we got to interpret, and we have to apply, O-I-A, right? So the observation is that Jesus is speaking to a multitude of people for the purpose of revealing himself to them, revealing what his desires are for them, and he's giving a warning right off the bat, doesn't he? Go back up to verse 21 in your Bible. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will what? Enter the kingdom of heaven. So what does that tell us? There are going to be religious people in our world who are not saved. There are going to be religious people who sincerely believe they're being sincere in worshiping through their religion, but they don't know who Jesus is. They don't understand who he is. They call him Lord, yet what is he not? He's not their Lord now now I want to remind us again who's saying this what color are the words in your Bible red. they're red this is Jesus words to believers telling them some important facts look at the next phrase not everyone who says to me Lord Lord one of the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven on that day many will say to me Lord Lord did we not and what do they do Inward or outward things? Performance. Did we not perform for you? Didn't we do great miracles? Didn't we do great things? Now, before we get too caught up in the miracles, let's remember Old Testament. All right, let's go back in time. Moses is standing before Pharaoh. Moses throws a staff on the ground. What happens to a staff? Becomes a snake, right? Pharaoh's magicians have staffs in their hands. They throw their staves down. What do they become? Okay, they they both did what? Whose power did they use? Oh. We don't know yet, right? Observation without without interpretation. So the, uh, we have to observe they both turn their staves into snakes. <coughs> Moses is representing who? is representing who? Himself as God, or he's the servant of the God of this world, right? So you have two powers here opposed to each other. What happens to the snakes? Moses' snake eats the other three, and only one guy walks out with his staff. Who is it? Moses. And because Moses walks out with his staff, it authenticates <clears throat> The messenger is from God and whose God is more powerful, right? So so can Satan do demonic things? Absolutely. Does he have power to deceive? Absolutely. So we should not be shocked by the fact that these religious people can do some supernatural stuff or it appears that they can do supernatural things. But the problem is, what's the reality? They're doing it, but they're not doing it for who? They're not doing it for the Lord. They're doing it for themselves. They're doing it for their own gain. They're doing it for their own reasoning and not God's reasoning. Now, go back to Matthew 7 in your mind, okay? Sermon on the Mount. What does Jesus say? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father... The one who does the will of my father. Thank you. What's the key word there? The one who not just talks about it, not just thinks about it, not just talks about it, but actually does it, right? So now we're, we're starting to get some insight into what Jesus is actually saying here. He's not saying, if you want to be wise, build your house on rock. This isn't a building illustration. It has nothing to do with the building illustration. He's using the illustration of buildings to get a point across to the people listening. He's using a parable, right? Parables are earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. So we got to come out of this with some heavenly meaning that Jesus is trying to get across. So not everyone will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does will do... He does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So a person who is following Christ is not going to go against the will of God. Okay? So if a self-proclaimed prophet or a teacher or somebody is promoting something that goes against God's word and against God's character, are they a Lord, Lord, following the heavenly Father? Or are they a Lord, Lord, following somebody else? We can take that straight straight from interpretation here. Observation says not everyone goes into, not everyone who says Lord, Lord is gonna to go to heaven, okay? But the one who does the will of the Father, he can go into heaven. That's the observation. The interpretation, well, let's dig a little deeper. So Jesus is trying to tell us that righteousness, their righteousness is built on performance and showmanship rather than on the will of God. So look what it says, verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord... Did we not prophesy in your name? Are there self-proclaimed prophets today? Are they sincere? Do they evoke the name of Jesus when they do it? Okay. Um, It goes on to say, they cast out demons in your name. I love how he adds on, in your name. Like we sung about that, didn't we? In the song we just, at the name of Jesus, right? He's the rock, he's the redeemer, he's, there's power in his. We sung about this. They're invoking the name of Christ without power. They're evoking the name of Christ and they're getting wiped out. They, they're not winning. They're not following through. Notice what it goes on to say. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them what? Depart from me. I don't even know who you are. Depart from me, you workers of... What does lawlessness mean? Remember during the observation stage, we got to find out what words mean. And the word lawlessness means simply this, one who's not following the law of God they're doing their own thing. They're using the name of Christ, but they're doing their own thing. It's not biblical what they're doing. It's not commanded what they're doing. They're doing what they want to do. So although their life manifests righteous actions, underneath their motives are misaligned. Jesus connects a construction analogy then to help us understand the connection between the value of God's word and our deeper motivations. He imagines a violent storm striking two types of houses of men, right? Same storm, two houses. We understand that in Sock Center, don't we? Same storm hit all of us. Some of us lost lots of trees. Some of us lost no trees. Some of us, things went well, and for others, not so well. Uh, Some have repairs to do. Some don't have repairs to do. So we understand storms can hit an area and affect multiple places at the same time. So the same storm hits both houses. What is the outcome? One house stands, one house falls, okay? Observation stage, pretty simple concept here. So as we're looking at this, we see everything on the surface appears very similar, except for one unseen difference. What is the one difference between the two houses? Both were built, both were built by a person, both went through a storm, both of them were instructed to build the house, okay? So it wasn't like they missed a command or something like that. But what was the difference between the two houses? Again, we're observation here, right? Where the house was built, the location. The location of the house, right? In real estate, what matters? Location, 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 okay? So the one guy built his house, on a hillside that had rock underneath it. The other guy built his house on sand. He had the beachfront. So one had ocean view, the other had beachfront, right? The only difference is is right there. You look at the observation, you look at the interpretation. There's one house or one man who hears and does, but there's another one who hears and does what he wants. This is the point of the story. There's one who built and listened to what God said, and the other one listened and did what he wanted. Didn't do what God said. What was the goal? Build your house on the rock. Who's the rock? Let's, let's, let's define, right? This was in our song as well. You're my rock and my redeemer, right? Right? See, that's why I'm not on the worship team. Um, some of you should be, though, maybe. So um, He's our rock. And he's talking about the foundation. He's talking about what we build our life on. We build our life on the rock. Today, what is the rock? The revealed Word of God is... Who's the Word? In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word... Was slash is God, right? So we have God's word today. We can build our lives on that. Now that's application. We're starting to waver a little bit, but I already know your brain's going there, okay? You're like, Pastor Joe, I know where you're going. I can check out. No, don't check out because that's not the application. All right, you're missing. That's interpretation, not the application yet. So the difference is there's one who hears and pretends. There's another who hears and does not pretend. He does reality. They both hear. One pretends, one doesn't. So the the difference is on how they listen and how they act. Now here's the truth. Here's an interpretation for you. To Jesus, showmanship means nothing. Right? To Jesus, showmanship means nothing. Remember last week, Jesus is not giving us construction advice. He's talking about the methodology by which we're building our lives upon. What are you building your life upon? Are you building it on the rock of Jesus Christ? Or are you building it on your perception of who Jesus Christ is? A false reality. Jesus has taken the application beyond proclamation, appearances, showmanship, and and seen behaviors into motivational change. Remember, what was the number one principle about God's Word? It was written for us to change. And number two, the plot, it's all about Jesus. Romans 12, 1 and 2 gives us a real easy passage where we can put that all together. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you what? Present your bodies a living, what's a living dead thing? Right? Alive to Christ, dead to yourself. You've changed, because that's the logical thing to do, verse 2 tells you. So Jesus is taking this application beyond proclamation, appearances, showmanship, seen behaviors into motivational change. This is founded by connecting the introduction, verses 21 through 23, with the illustration of verses 24 through 27, and it calls for us to get two things right. Number one, we must first get right. We must integrate Our saying with our doing. That was last week's point, remember? We have to do what we say and say what we do. Our walk and talk have to match. James talks about that, right? James 2, we won't go into it too deep. That was last week's point. But number two, the Bible tells us we must do things for the right reason and the right motivation. Do we simply do things for God because we're commanded to do it? You could argue yes, but could you argue stronger? We should do it because we want to. We want to serve him. We want to glorify him. We want to honor him. We want to. So there should be some motivations behind our reasoning of why we do what we do. Go to John chapter eight with me. I want to show you a portion of scripture here. Scripture here. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32 says this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly what? My disciples. disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We know that from our history, right? You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How many people are looking for truth today? Something real, something absolute, something solid, something reliable, something you can put your weight into, right? Jesus said this to the Jews who had believed him. He wrote to believers who said this, If you abide in my word, then you truly are my disciples. By virtue of interpretation, how many people on average right now abide in the word of God? What was the statistic we saw? 64%. Don't. Maybe we don't see power today. Maybe we don't see change today because of where we are when it comes to the word of God. We must both abide by and know the truth. You have to abide in the word and you have to know the truth. Well, how do you find truth? By being in the word. So you can't have one without the other. You can't know truth today if you don't know God's word. This is what Jesus told us. So we're not going to some second source here. These are primary sources from Christ himself. By the way, the word used there for the Greek, and the word "know" is the Greek word ginosko, which means to have a full knowledge of, a complete understanding of. And you'll note that this word is found both in our text today in John 8, and also in Matthew chapter 7. Did you pick that up in Matthew 7? We need to not just do, we don't need to just know, we need to also do the word of God. Why is it important? Well, because Jesus wants us to fully know, not partially know, because he understands that knowing is the linchpin of our belief. Faith is the linchpin of our faith. It's a linchpin of our obedience. If we don't know why we believe what we believe, we will not follow through. If we doubt. Think about that. If we don't know why we believe what we believe, we will not follow through on what we doubt. So if we doubt scripture, guess what we're not going to do? We're not going to follow it. If we doubt scripture, guess what we're not going to do? We're not going to go along with what it says. We're going to resist it. We're going to push back. We're going to ignore it. But when we know the truth, guess what the truth does? It sets you free. Now, are there some things in the Bible that Jesus said we can absolutely know? Remember, what does to know mean? Gnosko, what does it mean? Have complete knowledge, right? Not doubt, not lacking anything. It's a full knowing. Now, let me show you some verses in the Bible that you can take to the bank that you can fully know are true. And if you know people who don't teach these things, I hope you'll take a Bible and show them. Okay? That's, that's what we do. We take people back to the Bible and we show them what the Bible actually says. John 17 and verse 3, what does it say? This is, let's read it together, shall we? And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. What is it called to know Jesus Christ? What's it called? Eternal life. Are there people that don't know whether or not they can have eternal life today? Let me ask you a question. What verse do they get that from? Because what does this verse say? And Jesus wanted you, well, what's that next phrase? He wants you to gnosko. Same word in Matthew 7, same word in John 8. This is why words matter. This isn't the only passage. Let me give you another one. How about 1 John 5.13? Check this one out. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may gnosko. Same word. Know what? Words matter, folks. Deductive versus inductive study. The Bible teaches you can know that you have eternal life. A full understanding. Not a partial, not a hope so. Fully know. You say, well, you're just picking on a couple verses. Fine. Romans 8.28. We all quote this one. And we, Gnosko, we know what? That for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he did for no, he also did predestinate that we be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. How many believe that we should be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ? All right. That is in direct context with this verse. So if that is true, then what must also be true? You can know that the God who controls everything will work things for your good. Why would he let you think you're saved and then be like, just kidding. All right, Matthew ten thirty. Let me give you another one. My favorite verse. Mine changes daily. And guess what he goes. Use that one in jest, all right? But it's true. If he knows the number of hairs on your head, what else does he know? Everything. Because he has full knowledge he knows what he knows he gnoskos right by the way 310 uses for the word gnosko in your new testament alone do you think god wants you to know something he wants you to know 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 and if you don't know there's a reason you don't know because you're not his disciple You see how it all works together? And what is our passage telling us in Matthew seven? There are those that are gonna go around and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. They're gonna do things in the name of Jesus Christ. They're gonna perform miracles in the name of Jesus Christ. And they're not gonna know who Jesus Christ is. They have a presupposition of what he's like, but they don't actually know him. And the Bible says we can know him. The Bible doesn't just say we can know him. He wants us to know him. He's revealed himself to us so that we can have access to him. Why would God push us away? Why would God want you to not know who he is? Now, before we, we get too far into this, let me give you a couple of things here. There are four steps that we'll walk through that teach you how to read the Bible better and have a better Bible reading habit, all right? Number one, we must identify negative emotions that we feel when we don't read the Bible, all right? This has to do with guilt, right? Guilt and shame. When you don't read the Bible for a day, does that mean God hates you? No. Remember, God is not looking at performance. What's he look at? Remember when David was being chosen? God revealed this to us. He wants you to know this. God doesn't look on the outward appearance. God looks where? Why was David called a man after God's own heart when he committed adultery and murder? We struggle with this because deductively... We've been taught outward performance is what God looks at. But God actually tells us the exact opposite. I don't look on the outward appearance. That's what man does. The Lord looks on the... And what was David known as? A man after God's own... Hmm. Can't be outward performance then because David's outward performance was what? Pretty messed up. But when God looked in his heart, what did he see? He saw a child of God who was redeemed and chosen for the purpose he's doing. By the way, guess what every believer is? A child of God, chosen and redeemed for the purpose in which you were created. Same God, Old Testament new. He doesn't change. He doesn't change. Honestly, I used to beat myself up for years around my failures as reading the Bible. When I was a college student, I'm like, man, I'm studying seven different topics at the same time of God's word. I'm reading God's word. I don't have time for devotions. Did you hear that? I felt bad. But I'm like, dude, God, you understand? I don't call him dude anymore either. All right? I'll grew that. But somebody you, you know what I'm saying. You know what? Once I got the emotions out of my Bible reading habits, I could actually focus on seeing God. Because I took the eyes off myself. And where did I put them? On him. Do I need to know I'm a sinner? Sure. Do I have to be reminded I'm a sinner? Yes. Do I know for a fact, do I gnosco of gnoscos that I'm a sinner? That I sin? Absolutely. Guess what I don't know? How great my God is. Guess what I've got to learn about him? How great he is. Number two, we must identify the positive rewards. Right? We've got to identify the positive rewards that are in the Bible. Now this one, it's going to sound backwards, but if we do experience a positive reward when we don't, <laughs> we don't want to experience a positive reward when we don't read the Bible, right? So like normally we justify it this way. Um, I skipped my devotions today so I could be here to witness to you. How noble, I mean, right? What is the positive reward of reading the Bible? We already looked at it. You will know the truth and the truth will set you. If you're a follower of Christ, you're a follower of his words, you're going to have freedom in Christ. You're not going to be bound by guilt and despair. You're going to be free to move about the country teaching and proclaiming who? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Number three, got to delete the bad pattern. we got to get rid of the old patterns. And we got to put in the new patterns, right? Or number two, I guess. No, that should be number three. I got it wrong. What we need to do is decouple the previous two items that are often coupled together, that guilt and despair, that shame. Get rid of that and replace it with new habits, right? Quit justifying our bad behavior and substitute new habits in and delete the bad pattern that, that was there. And since changing is what God's Word does for us, and the whole theme of the Bible is Jesus Christ, then we should be able to change into the image of Jesus Christ. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Which leads to the fourth step. And that is this. You just got to build a new pattern. You got to start a new pattern. What do, how do you start a new pattern? This is the hard part, right? We build a new, a new pattern with a new reward. And the new reward is simply this. We're gonna read our Bible and we're gonna couple it with a more powerful reward. For example, the reward of getting to know God. When I read my Bible, I know God more. When I read my Bible, I sin less, right? Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my, shows me where I need to go, how I need to get there. So for me, traditional one-year Bible reading plans seem to promote all kinds of negative feelings, okay? If you're one of those people who read through the Bible every year, more power to you. I love it that you can do that. For me, I'd miss a couple days and guess what would happen? Well, now I got to catch up, right? So now instead of reading for understanding and comprehension, what am I going to go for? Checking the box, baby. Got it done. What do you think I got out of that? Nothing. Nothing. So now I'm double frustrated because now I'm reading the Bible and nothing's happening. God's not talking. Well, God's not talking because I'm not giving him a chance to speak. I'm not listening. I'm not, in, I'm not taking in to learn and to change and to be more like Jesus Christ. I'm checking a box, right? So for me, the one year through the Bible, I don't like that. But what I adopted is what I've been challenging you to do. I take a book of the Bible and I read through it every day for 30 days. Been doing it for a long time. And here's the trick. I don't actually read it. Guess what I do? We have these neat little things now. I got these cool little things that go in my ears. And at night I put them in my ears and I hit play, and guess what? I can listen to an entire book way faster than I can read it. I don't know why, but I can. And by hearing it over and over and over again, how many of you can quote your favorite movies? Why can you quote your favorite? Because you watched it once, right? Because you watched it once, you can quote it. No. You can quote it because you've watched it over and over and over again. So I challenge you, take a book of the Bible and read through it every day for 30 days. That's, that's, that's what I do. And as I read through the Bible, I use the OIA, Observation, Interpretation, Application. So as I've been reading Matthew seven, well Matthew five through seven, for the last well, almost sixty days now, guess what? I can almost I, I, I could give you a very sound outline of Matthew five, six, and seven. I can think through the passage. I'm not going to get a word perfect, but I can think through the pass. I can actually turn the page in my head of the of the scriptures. And if I listen to it and then I read it in, in my Bible or on my, my, on my app and I listen to it and I read it and I listen to it and I read it, guess what eventually happens? I'll be driving down the road, the song's on the radio and guess what pops in my brain? What I've read in scripture. Yeah, Guess what happens when I'm sitting all by myself somewhere and I'm like, hmm, I should probably be doing something. Oh yeah, I remember that scripture. That was pretty cool. I should call so-and-so and encourage them with that, Right? So I want to encourage you, read the book of Jude every day for the next couple weeks, all right? We're going to get into the book of Jude. So today I set my reading habit and process on comprehension, not completion, okay? I set it on comprehension, not completion. Rather than focusing on daily reading that gets me through the Bible in a year, completion, I focus my process on regular patterns of reading that deepens my love for comprehension, How do you get smart reading the Bible? Well, you read the same thing over and over on a regular basis. You say, well, Pastor Joe, it'll take you years to get through the Bible. Yeah, that's why I don't preach on some books. I'm focused on other books. And as I read through those books, I love reading through them. I get to know them. You know, why can can I do Romans off the top of my head? I've read it so many times. It's such a good book. It has so much in it that you can't even mine it all out. So I set my sights on a single book at a time. If it's a big book, like what about Matthew, Pastor Joe? It's 28 chapters. I already told you. I read five through seven for 30 days. And guess what you know after 30 days? I know that passage of scripture. I know it. I can defend it. I can argue it. Number two, as I read, I identify one text or theme that challenges me. One text. What do you think challenged me from Matthew 7? Any ideas? Not only do we need to know the word, but we must know it and do it. He that knoweth to do good and doeth the not, to him it is sin. All right? And then, last of all, throughout the day, I find one way to share it with somebody else. This opens the door for spiritual conversations. You know, I was reading the other day. I actually, I just did this with a pastor. I was reading the other day in Exodus and we were talking about the crossing of the Red Sea. And we talked about it after they crossed the Red Sea. Keith Kluver brought this up during Sunday school. You know, as they crossed the Red Sea, they got to the other side and they sang a song of praise. What was their praise based on? What they did or what God did? What God did. God doesn't care how we sing. He wants us to sing, right? The object of our worship is the destination, not the process. God is not impressed with the processes. He's not impressed. He doesn't look on the outward stuff. He looks on the He looks on the heart. He looks at your motivation and he looks at your application. What you're actually doing with what you know. So, my methodology will not get you through the Bible in a year, okay? But if you want to inductively study the Bible, if you really want to get into what the Bible teaches, what words mean, what it says, focus on one passage of Scripture and mine it out. The first time you read through it, all observation, right? Wow, I didn't know that was in there. I didn't know that. As you read through the book of Jude, you get an Old Testament survey class, right? You've got to figure out who Korah is. You've got to figure out where Moses' body was battled between Satan and Michael the archangel. You, you've, you've got to figure out where, you've got to figure out what a twice dead tree is. All right? It talks about there, a tree that is twice dead. How can a tree be twice dead? All right? You've got, you got to observe these things. Then you've got to start asking questions what do these words mean? And what stories are these going with? Well, out of that comes Bible study. Now you're looking at other passages of Scripture coming back to the main text and defining words with the Bible. You're using the Bible to interpret the Bible. And in the end, you get application, right? So what is the application, Pastor Joe, for today? Well, if we're going to build a better Bible reading habit, if we're going to dig deeper and actually know what the Bible says, number one, we need to know, we need to gnosko what the Bible says, right? And then we also need to do it. If you're going to be a wise person when it comes to building your life, you can know what the Word of God says and do your own thing. And it's like building a house on sand. And when the storms of life come, you're going to have nothing to... Your house isn't going to stand. Your life's going to fall apart. Because when the walls are tested, they're going to fall. But if you build your life on the Word of God, right? You build your life on Jesus Christ. Then when the storm comes, the same storm everybody else faces... When that storm comes, what's going to happen? Your life is going to stay together. Yeah, the walls are going to be pushed against and the rain's going to beat on it and the thunder's going to shake it. But in the end, your house is going to be... Where's your house going to be? Right where it was planted. Why? Because you are such a great builder? No, because you have a great God. You have a great foundation. And because you obeyed his words, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now you're free to serve God however you need to serve him. You can glorify God how you need to glorify him because of what he did for you. You don't have to live through my Bible. You don't have to live through my personality. You don't have to live through my relationship. You can live through your relationship with God. And he wants a relationship with you. And Jesus said this, I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you do. I know your heart, I know your mind, and I know why you do what you do. So I want you to be honest about that, and then I want you to build your life on my word, not your thoughts. And if you do that, you'll be a wise man and not a fool. You'll stand when the storms come. You won't crumble and fall apart when they come. Now, is that a universal truth that, would, that, that would go in any culture, anytime, anywhere? And that's exactly what the Bible teaches in Matthew chapter 7, John chapter 8, Romans 12, 1 and 2, and so many other portions of Scripture. James chapter 2, James chapter 1, and by the way, Jude and 2 Peter as well. So if that's not enough proof text for you, well, keep coming back. We'll just keep giving you more every week. We'll just keep giving you more. So, what is the one thing God wants you to know today? He wants you to know him, and he wants you to do what he's called you to do, the will of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you that it is knowable, it's doable. I thank you that it is so easy to understand when we take the time to understand it, Lord. Your word is not some mystical thing. We don't need some higher existential thoughts or some anointing or something weird. We just got to read your word, Father. We need to read it, and we need to heed it. And Father, using the interpretation process of observation, interpretation, and application, Father, we cannot just know what your word says, but we can actually know how to do it. And Father, today we learned a way of reading the Bible that we can actually not just check a box and complete it, but we can actually comprehend what it says, and then we can actually go out and live it for the glory of God. And Father, we live in a time in which people interpret scripture however they want. And they'll try to throw at us, well, that's your interpretation of it. But Father, there is only one interpretation of Scripture. And your Word tells us in 2 Peter that it's not a private interpretation, that we can interpret the Bible however we feel like, that it was given one way, and it was given to an audience, and that the Scripture is not a private interpretation, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And Father, the same Holy Spirit that gave the very words for these men to write down for us is the same Holy Spirit that indwells us today. And that same Holy Spirit can take the word of God and can illuminate it in our lives and and show us beyond a shadow of a doubt what your word means and what it says. And Father, when we know what it means and we know what it says, the odds of us actually going forth and doing it are a lot greater than when we don't know what it says and we don't know what it means. So Father, help us to be workmen that need not to be ashamed, but rightly able to divide the word of truth. And Father, help us to know the truth because your truth sets us free. We don't have to be bound by guilt and shame. We don't have to be bound by performance and outward appearance as the Pharisees and the scribes were in Matthew 7, who you were speaking against. But Father, we can be faithful doers of the word and not hearers only. And then we're not deceiving our own self because we're hearing the Holy Spirit. Speak to us through the word of God, which was inspired by you. So, Father, help us to not just hear, but to do as well. In your name we pray. All God's people said.